Hey gang, welcome to episode 146 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we're talking about Rochester 1996, which is the new production coming to the Hollywood Fringe from not one, but two immersive companies here in Los Angeles. That would be Capital W, who are represented today by Lauren Ludwig and Monica Miklas, and Drycraft, who are going to be represented by Tad Schaefer. They were going to talk to us about the show, about the process. Uh, We talked to them uh, while they were in casting mode. Sometimes it can be awkward to talk about a show before it happens. Um, I I never like to do that if I'm not familiar with the people's work at all. It just becomes a, so you're making a show. Luckily, as you well know, uh, Lauren has been on the show a lot. This is Tad's first time on the show. I got to talk. We got to talk a bit about like some of the the other work he's done. Uh, it's you know, it's no Versinium. We're all over the place. Um, what what do you, what more do you want from me? Oh really? Oh, well, you're not getting that. Um, okay. Um, I'm feisty today. I, I I didn't think I was feisty. I honestly thought I was not feisty today. I was up very late last night, um, and I thought I had no fight in me. It turns out, uh, if I imagine that I'm arguing with you, I got fight in me. So great. This is great. Self-discovery. We're all about self-discovery here. This comes at an opportune time. Not the self-discovery nonsense I was just rambling about, but that we're doing this episode with the folks because they've got an Indiegogo going right now. They've raised $1,500 of their $2,500 goal. So they just got $1,000 left to go. This is one of their more ambitious projects. In fact, according to them, it's the most ambitious project they've done yet in terms of production, uh, just the logistics of it all. And they need your support. If you saw Hamlet Mobile, if you saw And the Drum, Red Flags, any of that work, if you've uh, you know interacted with the society, uh, you know that these are some amazing creators and they deserve your support. And you're going to be here at the Hollywood Fringe. This is a great way to secure a ticket to the show before you could. Otherwise, tickets for the Fringe are going on sale at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on May 1st. But you can get in on that uh, beforehand by connecting with their Indiegogo campaign, um, which, gosh, let's just go. Let's just use the computer to look it up. When does the Indiegogo campaign end? Um, 10 days left, just 10 days left in the campaign and just a thousand dollars to go. And of course they can always use more money. Go for it in the show notes. Going to be there. Advanced tickets. One more thing to tell you about. Um, speaking of May 1st, which is just a few days away, Leia, the league of experiential and immersive artists is kicking off its educational series. There's, there's actually, you've got a plan for a, a number of workshops in May, starting with a workshop from Lauren Ludwig. There's only 12 slots in this thing, and they're more than half gone by the time I'm saying this. I, th- I think we might be down to just a few slots left. Um, only 30 bucks for a three-hour workshop. That's $10 an hour for a workshop with one of the best directors of immersive in LA. The whole idea behind the workshop series uh, started out of as a talk of like, well, what if we did like a casting director panel? And it evolved into, no, screw that, workshops. Let's get people who are casting shows to uh, give some insight to people, to train people on what to do uh, and, and how to stand out at an immersive audition. This this is really an amazing opportunity. Um, it's kind of getting lost in, in the shuffle of a lot of the shows that are going on, and there's going to be a couple more coming. So keep your eyes out for it. And if you are an immersive actor or an immersive creator and you're, you've, you're not doing anything this Tuesday, and you're in Los Angeles, I think you know what you need to do. Links in the show notes as well. Okay, um, one more bit of business before I just run us right into the interview, because I've basically set it up already. I don't know, maybe maybe for those who don't have context, we'll, we'll give a little bit of context in a second here. Uh, and that last bit of business, of course, is, oh no, he's going to do the Patreon. Yeah, I'm doing the Patreon. Doing the backlash. Um... <laughs> Because Stone Cold said so. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. 
Oh yeah, you didn't you didn't know. You had no idea. It's true. It's true. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was a I was a wrestling fan. Um Patreon.com slash no come on, I like comic books. What 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 it's the same thing. Um Patreon.com slash no presidium is how you help out this insane thing. Um I'm not gonna lie to you. We need the support. Full stop. We gotta go pro this year. We have to. We can't keep on doing this unless we're fully sustainable. That's what the big push last month was all about. We've definitely cooled the jets and we haven't been hitting it as hard. We're gonna be we're gonna be coming in pretty hard in May and June to kind of push things forward. Another attempt to double everything. Um, it's it's not easy to sustain that kind of fervor, so we want to take some time off. But tee us up, help us out. If you are um, probably right now, the best thing you can do is just tell people that we exist. Tell people that No Persinium exists, nopersinium.com. Um, if you want to come to the $1 level, that's fantastic. The $5 level gets you the irregular, which is a very irregular podcast. Uh, and we finally started doing the thank yous to everyone on social media. So those are beginning to roll out first round of that today. New thank yous this week. First, got to thank Jacob Patterson of Think Tank Gallery, who's now finally back in the podcast. That's the thing. People have been on the podcast. People have been backers for years. Not, not actually uh, financial backers, but Jacob's done so much that it was, I was never going to complain about that. Uh, but every little bit, every, every little bit helps. Uh, Patterson's coming through, uh, the think tank podcast is on hiatus right now. They're going to come back with, uh, another season of episodes getting even more immersive going on. Uh, definitely check them out. And they've got a whole thing going down at the Santa Monica pier, uh, where they're helping to curate immersive activity over there. Uh, also joining us this week is Elena Chiminski, Chimaliski. Oh, damn it. I was ready. Sorry. Uh, as always, you know, uh, the fastest way to get your name butchered on a podcast is to become a Patreon backer of No Persinium at patreon.com slash No Persinium. Wow, I can't even say the name of the, the show. Look at that. Completely incapable of it. Um, and, and if I've never heard, the, if I hear the word, I'm fine. If I read the word, we're all doomed. And I'm the one who named this thing No Persinium. No Persinium. Um, the sustaining backers for the show, as always, are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurstan, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. That's right. New name. New name. Someone jumped in at a high level. Um, not going to lie. We do need the support. If, you've, um, if, you, if you mildly tolerate us, that's worth a dollar. If you like us, it's $5. If you can't live without us, it's whatever you can spare. And barring other things, just tell folks um social media is is useless would be a strong word um so i'm gonna go with useless <laughs> it doesn't work unless people tell so honestly uh you know the thing at the end of youtube videos where like the millennial goes like don't forget to like and share and subscribe what i'm saying now is don't forget to like share and subscribe and and being serious don't don't forget to like share and subscribe it's the only way we're going to do this. Um, there's a bunch of shows that are about to open up in Los Angeles. Uh, you need to check out They Who Saw the Deep um, from Ceaseless Fun. I haven't got a chance to uh, see it yet, g g just in a couple days, but just just got a good feeling. And not not like a Star Wars got a good feeling about this, got a bad feeling, but I got, it's got a good feeling. They've got a great track record. Check that out. Rochester. 1996, Drycraft, capital W. For those who don't know, capital W, capital W uh, are the creators of Hamlet Mobile and the drum, Red Flags, a lot of my favorite immersive work here in Los Angeles. Um, we've had Lauren Ludwig teach workshops before, uh, teach a Meisner workshop before. We did that under the No Persinium brand which is one of the reasons why I really encourage you to check out the workshop she's doing for Leia. Uh, I took it. It's, it was fantastic. This is going to be slightly different, but still amazing. Uh, the Society was the project that Drycraft uh, debuted at last year's Fringe at the Fringe Party and uh, just did this alternate reality experience that went on for, for months, uh, literally months. I think it, it peaked at the end of December. Uh, 
always a chance that it'll come back around. They were doing a really interesting thing where they were instancing. So they like the the ARX would like open up a new standalone show and then they'd book that show in uh, when, when they had enough people who wanted to go see the show. So a really interesting way, very similar to uh, what World of Warcraft did with its rating system. Like, look, oh, we've opened up this new map. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and, and it was definitely an interesting show that, that drew on a lot of the sort of ur-occult texts of the 20th century uh, and, and turned those into an experience that wasn't, that was different, different from like, you know, like the darkness, uh, but definitely had that, that, that weird L.A. spirituality, creepy overtone stuff going on. So just, just a, lot of, a lot of fun work. And uh, at, uh, well, anyway, they'll tell the origin story of how, how these crazy kids got together to make this show and what the show is about. Here we go with the episode the interview. God, my brain. Rochester, 1996. Somebody shut me up and get this thing rolling, please. Felt intentional. Embodying your father, that felt like I was a father. Are they the same size? Uh, yeah, they're still. Small. Not in that he would men's a little small. Not in that he would pick yellow. Okay, so now I have to go get a moleskin now. There's a. That's a, a, a color charm. that is embodying of my father. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yours will be the most accurate, but mine feels energetically correct for me. Right. Writing this for piece. your translation. Correct. Of my translation. Yes. Of right. my father. Yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. Can we talk about this process now? Mm-hmm. Getting stoked. We're getting We're recording already, so... Oh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, you tricked us. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the... I got the you Mark Marin us. I Mark yeah. Marin. Well, yeah, exactly. That's why it's that's why it's done now. I love when they do that, and then like a minute and a half in, they're like, wait, are we recording? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm starting to... I did that with John Braver the other day, so I'm starting to starting to do it a little... I mean, like, I, I know... It's it's totally different when it's when it's folks we know, you know? That's true. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of you knowing. It gets a lot because it's it's easier too. And so that's the thing is like I don't necessarily want to get too deep into what the show is. Whatever you want to tell us about the show, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm definitely interested in. Well, first let's try and be mildly professional. So to my left is Monica Nicholas. Direct, directly across from me is Thaddeus Schaefer, Tad Schaefer. And rounding out the the trio here is Lauren Ludwig. All right. And we're here to, Lauren, what are, you, what are we here to talk about? Abstentionally, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about um, our new Immersive project called Rochester 1996. And it's a collaboration between Capital W and Drycraft. And we're really stoked about it. Yeah. So I want to, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll start a little bit. So what, what, is, what, is this, what is this show and how did it wind up being a collaboration? And then we'll just do what we always do, which is run all over the place. Hmm. This show, I thought for a second we were going to talk in unison. You guys want to try that? Okay, take two. This show is about Tad's family. And Waldo Scott take over. This show is about Tad's family. Um, it's so actually about Tad's family? It truly yeah. is. Yeah. Um, this show is a really interesting, has a really interesting origin story. Um, we met, uh, I met Tad for the first time at the Immersive Design Summit, which, I'll plug for that. Plug, plug. Yeah, yeah. plug, <laughs> plug. Yeah. Second time this year we've yeah. had a plug. Yeah, shows. it was right. a really, fruit- I feel like actually this was what you had kind of hoped when you guys all created it. Maybe. Exactly. So like we're all talking about theater and all this amazing stuff, and uh, we're all drinking and we're all excited. And uh, and I was uh, I met Ted. I was chatting with him, and I we had some interesting things in common. Like uh, we're both from upstate New York, um, and just other things he talked about with his family really reminded me of my family. But the major difference is that, uh, and Ted can talk more about this, of course. Um, but he grew up the son of a pastor. Um, and that is really interesting for me. That's really different than my upbringing, but 
but spirituality and religion have always been really interested, interesting to me. And the ecology of groups, uh, how groups work together, why they form, why they break apart, that's always been really interesting to me. Um, and how leaders lead their groups, the sort of charismatic leader myth and talking through that. That also has come up in some of our past shows before. So all that stuff sort of came up as we were talking about this. And um, Tad sort of lightly pitched an immersive show that explored all that that was based on his childhood and I was like that sounds so fun I 100% want to develop that and then I was like I don't want to write it <laughs> yeah. at all and I was like I 100% want to write it yeah and I yeah that's great I was actually yeah I, it was funny you said that because I was like oh well he'll definitely want to write it but you no. really don't yep it's great yep. so yeah but he's absolutely contributing a huge wealth of material of course so like a lot of our capital w processes this one has been about a bunch of uh, story sharing and group devising at the start yeah and that seemed like the right mix for our companies to come together on yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah how does this fit into the arc of your company i guess yeah this is the first time you've been on the show so like that's yeah, true like, oh yeah. my gosh yeah, this, this is uh, what the microphone looks like yeah. oh wow it's, it's much more bulbous than i anticipated <laughs> hey now it's much girthier it is though <laughs> it is actually really tall and uh, it's about uh, nine and a half inches tall. It's very um, silver. It's nine and three quarters, yeah. I want to point out. Um. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. wow. this is, this is, this is so introducing me. Dad, your artistic journey. Yeah, my artistic journey. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the f two founders of Drycraft Los Angeles, uh, and we do a lot of long-form uh, immersive narrative uh, myth-making and storytelling. And Some so, of you may be familiar with the society now. The society and the boanthropic, um, and some other stuff. Uh, but we kind of Eric Hoff and I, the thing that we share in common, and was sort of the foundation of our friendship before we created Drycraft, was that we're both pastors' kids mm. who went to a Christian college together and met on our first day that we were there and oh, wow. sort of processed that experience and our sort of very similar and very different uh, experiences as pastor's kids um, through each other and through our relationship. And so it just kind of made sense that our company would be involved in the, in the development of this piece, which just kind of came as a, also came as a result of one of our last, our last piece that we did before the new year with Drycraft. Um, there was a van ride involved and that was, really evocative for me and that was kind of the beginning of the pitch that I made to yeah, Lauren was yeah. really about that theatrical experience that I kind of had uh, improvising and performing in the front seat of a van while we had an audience that was all in the back and going through this 40 minute drive mm. we kind of developed into a sort of uh, audience uh, actor relationship that I hadn't really experienced before mm. where it was both passive and active at the same time Yeah, where we had people that were sitting in the van that were just completely immersed by the traffic and the noise and the city that was that was all around them but at the same time over the rumble of the of the engine they could hear us talking back and forth and we would kind of elevate and recede and elevate and recede in our volume to the point where they couldn't really hear us and then they'd hear us again so they'd kind of just get the broad strokes of what we were talking about yeah and I found that really fascinating because you're always trying to in immersive try to sort of pull and pull in and out of focus to let people just sort of be in the world be in the space and to be with each other in community and to sort of introduce performance in a, in a soft and gentle way yeah. that doesn't feel like we're going to throw a spotlight on something yeah. right now. It's definitely more of the, the rack focus and not the hard cut. Yeah, and it's a little voyeuristic. Yeah. And so I started flashing to these memories of, as a kid, being in the front seat with my dad while the rest of the people were in the church that were in the back, you know, you'd have Sudanese refugees in the far back and you'd have Dominican immigrants sort of speaking in Spanish in the middle. And then you'd have uh, sort of, our church was kind of made up of like one third uh, African-American, one third sort of Dominican, Puerto Rican, and one third native African refugees. Mm. And so it was a lot of diversity of communication that would be happening in the midst of this van. And, you know, sullen kid over there is not talking to anybody. But then whenever pastor speaks up or sort of like 
takes the focus, yeah. the focus shifts and yeah. everything changes. But my dad and I would often have these like really intimate conversations back and forth that were in some ways more intimate than we would get if we were alone because he was in the sort of active moment of trying to pull this rock up this hill of this church in the middle of a Sunday, you know, after having barely gotten any sleep and just doing a sermon and maybe not feeling great about it and sort of there's a million different crises that are happening and needing to go to social services later that day or whatever. Yeah. But being in that exhausted moment, having his son by his side, sort of like being able to share that private moment felt really sort of special but also a little bit fraught yeah. for me as a kid and as a as a you know young teen so i kind of wanted to find a way to dramatize that in a way that i felt like you could only get by being in that van so another van show? Spoiler, there are van in the show. Sorry, I didn't mean to spoil. It felt like... <laughs> no, it's important. It's important to know that when they so, buy it. So, that's so, also true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I'm going to... Says the producer. Liability. Gonna, yeah. There's a liability thing. Let's not worry about that stuff. Let's, let's stay in the Ooh. art. What, what I'm... Um, I find it really interesting, like, now knowing this about you and Eric, because for the society, there's a lot of, a lot of the material... Is definitely mined out of sort of the, the Thelema Crowley universe, like stuff of the, the moon child and all that stuff. And, and Crowley was also the son of a, of a preacher. Oh my God, really? That's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and so there's this, sort of oh. these cycles going. Like it, it kind of opens up this other dimension, like the attraction to that material which yeah. makes, makes a kind of sense in terms of the, the patterns of people's lives. Yeah, and that sort of pattern is something I've explored with my family for a long time and because there's this sort of ongoing sort of generational sort of discussion about charismatic authority, about mm -hmm. fraudulent sort of religious leaders and reacting against that and moving in your own direction. And we've been kind of using my dad as sort of a lens of this in some ways because my dad is, after he was a urban pastor, became a, got his PhD and wrote his senior, his, his doctoral thesis about sort of people's own sense of, of um, efficacy uh, mm -hmm. as, uh, as they were entering seminary and exploring what people's sense of their own ability to make a, make a tangible good happen in the world or the ability to right a wrong. And so much, of, so much of that was motivated by this sort of motivation set that was brought on often by trauma or people that had been... Uh, led astray by a charismatic or religious figure. And rather than running away from religion, they wanted a chance to redeem it and do it mm. better next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lauren is furiously making notes. Yeah. This. So if any yeah. of this makes it into the show, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. It's funny doing this. Uh, yeah. process. I know. It's funny doing this in the midst of a development process. Because yeah. as he's talking, I'm like, oh, I'm going write this. I'm write this. I'm having all these ideas. Yeah, so. So much of what Tad just said about, and what you brought up now about cycles, is as we've gone through this process, I think we're realizing how prevalent that is for everyone who's involved. And we're, mm -hmm. Lauren and I both at different points have been like, well, that reminds me of my dad. <laughs> like mm -hmm. my dad. Interesting, yeah. And how these recreating your family's life and trying to do your family, like to create a family in. Mm -hmm a way that redeems the idea of family is something mm -hmm. that's really yeah. present of trying mm -hmm. to um, confront our understanding of our parents as people and, and taking that in as adults and recognizing kind of where we were in relationship to them as young people and what's changed. Yeah, and I think as having, like as company leaders too, we also feel a sort of really strong desire towards this sort of Flock leadership sure. and oh, a, sure. a desire to sort of take care of our people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've noticed that we've sort of talked a little bit about that and about that sort of yeah. instinct to, I mean, I know for myself and for Eric, that's one thing that we carry with us that's difficult to let go of is to just sort of exist in our sort of nuclear family and to, to feel like we, we can put the authority onto someone else we, we want to take it on and we want to yeah. sort of... Mm -hmm. That, that mantle, Be, that responsibility, right? Like there's, there's, you see a need and you want to answer it. Because we grew up with it. We, yeah. we grew up with that. This is you are already responsible. 
when you're yeah. a part of the pastor's family. But see, this is what makes it so interesting because there's nothing inherently wrong with that. You know, I think it's a, something we haven't gotten into that much is, yet in the development process, but I'm really interested in is like, what do we mean, mean when we say somebody has a calling to do something? Mm-hmm. Like, if is that feeling of responsibility? Is that a calling? Does it have to sound like the voice of God saying you to go do it? Like, wh- when is it right and okay to step in as the leader? Yeah. And that is like a huge question. Where does that authority come from? Yeah. Right? It's like in the Christian church in most denominations, it seems like, well, it comes from God. It's like, or yeah. God spoke to you, or you felt called by God. Um, but I mean, what, <laughs> as you kind of move away from that in your own life, like, what does that then mean in retrospect was happening, particularly if you don't necessarily believe in that anymore? If I, it's very interesting. Um, so, and I, I was not raised in a Christian household. I was raised in an agnostic slash casually Buddhist household, so I uh, so I feel like my relationship to this is very interesting. Like where where that lives in me in terms of like I don't worry as much about taking on uh, charismatic authority. Um, more of my sort of worry around that relates to sort of like negative artistic leaders I had in life. That's sort of my negative version of that. Sure. Yeah. Yours is like pastors that were, didn't use their authority for not good uh and mine would be like the acting teacher in college who was is too tough or the you know the director who was uh, overly um, manipulative so it's interesting you i don't know you can find this stuff in every space of course oh yeah well i mean that's that's maybe the thing that's most interesting about you know the religious dynamic right is that is that in in that case it's just about like how does one live one's life right it's mm-hmm. not about a, a craft or a job it's merely about your, your day-to-day rituals, your your the, mm-hmm. the, the the pattern of your other relationships, right? Sure. You know, like how are you going to pattern your relationship with other people? And then inside inside the the Judeo-Christian story, there's you know there's there's even moments you know where like you know Christ tries to like get away from his destiny, yeah. right? You know, like you take this cup from me, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. This and that relationship of the the mantle of responsibility, you know, versus and and you know. The, the warnings of worrying about the people who are a little too eager to like show how devout they are, and a little too eager for power, right? Like those things are definitely. If you're looking for that sort of stuff, you can find it in in those stories. Yeah. Well, and something we're specifically exploring in this piece, which is very interesting, is what happens if somebody feels like they should lead or is called to lead, but they're not a charismatic leader, mm-hmm. like the sort of like shadow leader, the sort of, like what is that about? So that's it's sort of like the antithesis of some of the stuff we were exploring in Hamilmobile, actually. In terms of like, although related, because that was about a group where their charismatic leader disappeared and they were leaderless. Um, so this feels like about a group that's like searching for cohesion around a leader that's not really living up to what the group needs of him. So that's something we're playing with. But I don't want to say anymore. Right. We're dangerously approaching spoiler space. Well, and, I mean, and how? <laughs> this, this is an interesting. Check how? Or how? Where are we in the development process here? Like, 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 are we? Are you casted yet? Or? We're right in the middle. We've just started casting. Mm. Though I think by the time this airs, we will be cast, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, and then we, uh, though we are partially cast, Tad's going to be in it. Um, and Tad will be playing the pastor. Um, and then we are nearing the end of the devising phase and about at the point where I start bringing in pages. Mm. So we're pretty early. We're 30% of the way so, through. So you're devising yeah. internally. So you're devising without cast. For, for the first time, we're yeah. devising mostly without a cast. When the cast shows up, we will create and craft characters more specifically for them, and they will end up contributing, for sure, text and character stuff, for mm. sure. But I would say the larger structure and the larger themes will already be in place. Mm-hmm. This is actually, well, in red, in red Flags, it didn't appear this way because it was a cast of one. But the process has been fairly similar to mm. that right. process where we did story sharing and worked as a group, and then Lauren went away and wrote. What's different this time is that we're really using Tad's life story as a primary document, mm. the primary source, and then have additional primary sources and right. things from his dad's preaching. Um, his dad has actually written some material for us to yeah. look at some he thoughts. Wrote, like an essay, essentially, yeah. about his thoughts on this stuff. He's, oh, yeah. yeah, he's really, really smart. <laughs> and also we have his dissertation. His dissertation. Um, yeah, and we're talking to some other people in Tad's family. Uh, and also, of course, like, 
the Bible and other Christian documents are finding their way into this. And yeah, the Bible's stuff. pretty big, huge yeah. text. To pull from. The Bible's a big text. It's a big We're text, sure it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Turns out. Yeah. So that's, that's all in the mix. We're going to cover all, all of it. Guaranteed. <laughs> exactly. This is a complete adaptation of the Bible. So this is a week-long experience yeah, in a van? Yeah, so. yeah. You guys did the like Bible in a van. If you didn't like the movie Mother, you thought you wanted a different adaptation of the Bible, we have it for you. It is this show. I like how I got in a dig about the movie Mother. Um, yeah, but also we're excited about this because uh, we, Interpreters Capital W, we're excited to be moving more towards stuff that has a historical bent, mm-hmm. and this feels like the first way, the first show we've done that is heading in that direction. Yeah, but we've got more things planned that feel like they live in that space for us. Yeah, this is sort of the the first incarnation of that research process in action. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I also know we've talked in the past, not necessarily on the show, but. You know, before you started this process, or maybe it was because you would start this process, and you were like just dropping hints that I was in Big Ape on this yeah. idea of like collaborating with with other folks. And I know Lauren, you just it was this. I was. It was about. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was. I had imagined originally that we would do like a Beyonce's Lemonade style album drop. You really this wanted piece. that. I you? wanted it so yeah. badly. <laughs> I wanted one day to just suddenly have like a hundred tickets on sale for a show no one had heard anything about. But then it turned out it was impossible to cast a show that way if you want to have auditions. <laughs> yeah. And then it also turns out that well, I mean, you're because how, how many? I mean, how many roles are we talking about here? It's gonna be between yeah, three. Well, three, three how many roles? <laughs> I don't. It'll, it'll be between two and six additional actors okay. on top of that. Um, I mean, you might have been able to like maybe. stealth cast it. And then yeah. the other thing, the it's hard doing fringe. The though. fringe is the yeah, other thing. That's you the, can't. But I am gonna do that at some point, guys. One <laughs> actor is gonna be a ready. show. And we are doing casting that's not really the usual suspects. I agree of with that. People that yes. we know. Yeah, right. yeah, we're trying to cast a wider net. Yeah. And there's some age diversity in the cast that's important, so we're really pushing for that as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, that's what I'll say Yeah, it would it would be very hard doing Fringe. I mean, actually, you'd probably just get buried in Fringe if you just stealth drop to show. You can't stealth it's drop. It's also the way that the tickets go on sale. Impossible. Because we're not controlling the ticket sales. They're all through the Fringe website. So it's, yeah. Nah. yeah. Just come back to your original point i do think we see additional collaborations with other groups it just seems really fruitful and there's so many groups where we just admire their work or there's just you know we're like oh i want to get in there and play with them so i i could definitely see doing more of yeah. this i yeah. think we'd love that yeah well and ted you've been working with people like left and right like because you both have dry craft and you work as an actor with mm-hmm. a lot of different folks so yeah like what's sort of been is, is this Who's a, like the best <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm sorry i couldn't help it <laughs> Uh, no, you had a real question. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, it's more just sort of a topic for the table of like, you know, what what's what's inspiring? You know, what are you seeing as as this? I mean, for a long time, things were in isolation. A group would be over here, a group over there. Now we've got we've got this cross pollination going on. People seeing each other's stuff. You know, what 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 it feels like? Is there anything any trend? Anything you feel that's emerging? Here? Well, I think there's a language that's developing. Mm. Uh, I think that's really encouraging, uh, particularly as as an immersive performer. I feel like I'm better able to sort of communicate what it is that I need in a way that's understood, um, especially with a lot of... Because a lot of the gigs that I'll do will sort of be either, you know... You know, on the any lesser sort of like conception side of things or in the sort of like corporate activation side of things. But either way, they're usually pretty quick. They, They operate on not a lot of seed time and not a lot of strong development process, which is how I like to work. But I like to be able to keep the communication lines open and to be able to sort of still work within a process and yeah. I feel like that's getting easier to sort of assert my process yeah. <laughs> and and to to get on board with the other performers and feel like we're we're living in a common world and not just sort of making up some new thing as we go along but still able to find all the new uh, sort of specific elements of whatever it is that we're trying to do I don't know it just feels like there's a little bit more structure there's a little bit more expectation for what the, the particular difficulties are. Mm. There's a long way to go, I think, in terms of folding in performance into uh, the sort of the art that gets the most funding right now yeah. in terms of the immersive art, which is usually corporately backed, yeah. but with high artistic ambition. Yeah. But you don't often get 
in early enough in the process to be able to establish what it is that is the full um, spectrum of what it is that you can contribute yeah. and to be able to do it in a way that's nuanced and also graceful and theatrical and all the sort of things about old school theater that we all love that are still possible yeah. <laughs> in in a short order in an, in an immersive setting yeah. that you want to be able to sort of get in there and just sort of say, hey, if we just added this platform here and this platform there, then that would create a much smoother flow for when I'm bringing this person in from this room and out to the other room. And then we'd be able to create more of a sort of 360 experience for the, for the yeah. audience, yeah. you know, to be able to come in or that early and be able to do that, which is, I think, one of the reasons why DryCraft is trying to sort of be more and sort of get earlier on in those conversations with the stuff that we create and with partnerships that we make. Yeah. Um, and I think also, I mean, my own personal sort of hobby horse is is full three-dimensional transmedia storytelling and integrating that with performance in ticketed single-use events. Yeah. You know, to be able to integrate storytelling across the social media landscape and across the sort of alternate reality landscape for performers, I think, is an untapped space. Yeah. And some of the work that... Eubanks is doing in Drycraft is really interesting to me because he's combining his artistic expression with a sort of long form narrative that I have no say in, <laughs> but is, is him being expressive as a performer and as an immersive artist. And I'm just excited to watch as a, as a, yeah. as a participant. Um, so that's the stuff that really gets me jazzed is people just breaking down boundaries. Monica, what about you? What do you, what are you seeing? Uh, well, it's been, it's been fun to bring other people into our development process. It's made us reflect on things that we've been doing that were just the way we've been doing things, and now we have to explain <laughs> them to someone else. Yeah, Tad's like, um, why is it that way? And I'm like, what a what? good question. Uh, <laughs> huh. yeah. All right. Um, so that feels really healthy at this point in our company's growth to, to be at a point where we're being reflective. And it's been good to have input from someone else, too, to sort of get another sense of how people are doing this type of work. Mm. I've also, I was really excited by the response to our, our casting call, mm. to how many people responded. and. How many people who I've seen in other stuff and really respected and liked, and it's like, ooh, they, and they just found us. It did, didn't seem that hard. So that feels really cool. I think there's a group of performers who are excited about this type of work, and they, they get how the scene works, and they're hungry for opportunities. It feels really cool. Yeah, I think the, there's a lot of folks who once they get a taste of working this way, it's almost, it's not that it's hard to go back to the other stuff, but there's something, there's something really fulfilling about connecting with the audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Each time. It's so much better. Yeah. Yeah, it's addicting. What are you seeing? Um, I am seeing way more communication in the community and way more, I think that's what Monica's talking about as well, mm -hmm. more cross-pollinization, not just with what we're doing, I'm seeing other people doing it as well. I mean, we are in a funny position as Capital W where we were, we kind of were founded, I feel like we were founded at this moment where our natural organic evolution happens to be tracking the organic evolution of the immersive community in Los Angeles just by random chance of when we started. So, yeah, uh, fair, yeah. right, and yeah. that's just like random luck. There yeah. are other people doing it earlier than us, um, yeah. who I think they knew their voice as a company more recently than we did because we were just figuring it out year by year. Um, and I think to, it's important to note, I don't think we ever set out to be an immersive theater company. I think we made a piece of theater right. in that style, in the style we wanted to work in, which right. we, was, was informed by immersive theater that we knew about and had seen. And 
But then yeah. after one show, I'd say. After one yeah. show, we were like, okay, yeah. This yeah. Is this is but but then I think as I've watched the community with the sort of like, the community has become more standardized in a good way. Or um, that's the word I want. There's more structure to the community. Mm-hmm. And there's more, uh, there's, like you said, there's a language developing around it. I feel like as we've kind of been hungry for those things, just on our own terms, we've kind of looked around and they happen to be just happening in that moment. We're like, this is amazing. People are now all speaking about this. Just we were like desperate and hungry for it. Um, so we've been really lucky that way, I think. Um, and so I feel like as we as a company are ready to expand and open up our doors and, uh, and move into whole new arenas, whole new cities potentially, I feel like immersive is I feel like really the LA immersive community is really like moving in that direction in general so we're, we're I don't know we're lucky yeah yeah I think it's a and I'll mention here that I'm on the board of Leia and the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists thank you Lauren and you know through that work I really come to appreciate the collaborative spirit within the immersive community totally. in LA which you know I I still kind of have a foot in the world of traditional theater, intimate theater, or 90 yeah. seat, whatever you want to call it. And the the narrative there is still everybody's so cutthroat, people see it as a zero-sum game, there's so much competition, we can't collaborate. I start, I start, I start snickering because, uh, you know, yeah. I know what you, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah. I would dissent on that, but... Well, yeah. I, that actually hasn't totally been my experience yeah. of it, but that's the narrative. I think that's kind I of out there. I think the Pro 99 thing has changed a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, that's been my experience anyways, yeah. and that a lot of artistic directors are talking to each other a lot more. more so and a lot of communities are sort of bleeding into one another I in, was, in different ways. I thought it was very telling. Is that you, you were saying, I think, next to each other, this was last year when the head of the NEA... And it was just, it was just mm-hmm. months after the inauguration, oh. right around the time we thought the NEA's funding was going to be completely slashed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the not the head of the NEA, but the, the head of performing arts for the NEA was out here uh, talking at an event that DCA had put together up at Barnsdale. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating, like Cole, Cole Rosner was up on stage kind of representing like our part of, of the world. Go, mm-hmm. Cole. And then um, there was... There was like all of these theater. There were like ten other people. Ten other people, and what was shocking to me was like almost none of them knew who each other were. Yeah. And they were saying we should all like get together. No, and we're sitting down in a row with the immersive theater company kids, and we all knew each other. Like right. we all knew knew each other, and we're already getting together and talking. Um, and this was before Leia. Like this is this is before we were formally doing. That was a pretty staggering moment. Yeah. Well, it's also partially because I think the narrative in that world. Uh, from when I was working in it more, was that well, you can never sell all your tickets, that there's a fight for mm. audience. That's yeah. the fundamental difference, is that in immersive right now, we cannot get enough spots for the audience that want the tickets. It's definitely, um, yeah. the. We, I mean, we have that problem most shows, and I know other people have that problem as well, and I think that is a really different set of economics. That's true. And that breeds collaboration. Yeah, but, but what was fascinating to me was like there were companies because some of it was siloed based off of the communities they were in, be yeah. it like geographically or you know like uh, you know racial lines. Yeah. But there were even communities in in you know, companies being represented who were like you know serving the same demographic that didn't know each other. Uh, and companies that had been around thirty years, yeah, twenty thirty That's years, crazy. I had no idea they existed. Yeah. And I was just like, how did it reach? That point, and I think I think to your point about Pro Ninety Nine, it's yeah. like yeah, they they yeah. finally got in the same room with each other and realized that oh, like we have these same issues, and just yeah. from the start, like I always knew that we'd have we'd have a community, we'd have a scene, be able to people would be able to sell things out automatically if the companies knew each other and if like I, I watched like oh, this company has like this collection of people and this company has this collection right. of people, but if you can bring them all together and get to know, then yeah. it becomes a, a fan base for yeah. the whole thing. So that that worked. I think it's totally working. And like I said, like it's been it's kind of crazy to think that when we first did it there was no Leia, there was I mean, there was no proscenium for sure, mm-hmm. but that was like the first. But just barely. Was that the first? I think that, that was. It was. You were yeah. like four podcast episodes. Not even your podcast. Were you podcasting? Okay, Hamlet Mobile podcast was within the first ten. It was in the first yeah. ten. Yeah. So yeah. it's a whole. It's been really like. So that was like the uh, second. Really interesting to watch to be around at the beginning of a. Certainly, this is related to many art forms that have been going on a long time. But this is certainly at least a new chapter. It's a new wave. It's a new wave yeah. or a new chapter in the ongoing narrative. 
Yeah, the sort of like installation art or site specific art or happenings. you know transmedia stuff. Exactly happening. The whole the whole like um, what would we call that family tree of this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a cool new era in it. Yeah, it's just a cool time. And it's exciting to watch the stuff that's not theater that's related to it. Like I had a really good weekend this weekend of of seeing seeing's the wrong word of, of participating in some some non-theatrical experiential stuff Ooh, that was can you say more yeah no i totally can it's like there's a there's that silent play thing which yeah 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 you know it feels it feels a little bit like it feels a little bit like an acting class at points so i had some people like oh this is just gonna be like an acting class so like yeah there's some there's some improv games but there's also just like games games yeah. and then there's a, some unstructured play um, but I think that the most fascinating thing was like that it was silent, like ninety minutes of not talking oh, sure. and just playing, yeah. right? You know, and just communicating that way. And then there's a piece, there's a piece that's going to be in the fringe called uh, a dialogue through music. Uh, that is, mm. so what this experience is, uh, and we're going to have these guys on the show. But what, what this experience is is you go up to this music producer's apartment up up in Beachwood Canyon, mm-hmm. and you, you it's his apartment slash studio, and you, you go into the studio, and he's got, like, he's got an Ableton board and a bunch of instruments, and over the course of, like, an hour, you make a song together. Amazing. Right? Uh, That's great. This, and, I love that. Yeah, and it's so fully participatory art, and, like, it's... It's, I think I don't think they emailed me the link yet, but like that, I just did that yesterday. It was absolutely fantastic, and that sounds so fun. And then I went to something called Kumo, that some Imagineers are testing, and it was just like, it feels like the kind of thing that you would drop at Burning Man or or maybe at Coachella, and then it was like <laughs> this cloud tunnel to go into like this kind of cloud mush. I love anything cloud. It sounds like yeah, fun. yeah. No, it was really, it was really great, and like in full mist start. on. Yeah. And I'm and I'm pretty oh sure God. it needs to like fly completely under the radar because like it's like in some like loft space like in the arts district. I'm like oh I don't have the permits for this, but um, yeah, it was like it, I got to admit like it was like it went a little too long I think, but also like I wasn't drinking all the free alcohol they were given. Uh, well, I had to drive, so like you know like um, let the cloud wisp you back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you go to that, uh, you know, use some ride sharing, uh, but. It was just it was just nifty. It was really really a nifty, and it, there's nothing. There's no story other than whatever the environment is telling you. Mm. It's a meditative experience. I basically. love that stuff. I want yeah. all theater to feel like a sound bath. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love Whisper Lab so much. I was just oh, like, God. oh, yeah. it's been me forever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's in this piece, but we can do it in a piece. All right. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. An altar call is really just a sound bath. Yeah. Oh, can't wait to talk more about that. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about scribbling notes seriously. <laughs> scribbling notes seriously. I know so much to learn. So, um, tickets for this go on sale. Uh, when the fringe goes on May sale, first. May first. Yes, they and promised me this year there will be an exact time when tickets go on sale. Sweet. But if you want to get tickets ahead oh, of that, yeah. what, what? we are uh, we are uh, as we record this, we're about to launch uh, a two week long uh, crowd fund. And as part of that, some of the rewards are tickets to some of our final dress rehearsals and tickets to um, a select number of full run shows. So that is the only, like, that is a guaranteed way to get a ticket to the show. That is the only guaranteed way. And I'll pray with you. And also, (laughs) we haven't talked about that, but that's a great reward. To have to pray with you is one of the rewards. Wow. Yeah, we'll figure out which level of giving that is. Yeah. That's probably a low level. <laughs> oh, <laughs> kidding. It's a high. You have to donate the, the $1,000. Right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. If you executive anyway, So, yeah. yeah. So, we, uh, we're, this, we're trying to do something more ambitious uh, in a lot of ways in the last mm-hmm. few shows. So, uh, thank you in advance to anybody who helps yes. support yes. us get it off Many the ground. Thank you. Thank you from us and from God. <laughs> thank you from us and from Wow. What? God is fucking t- totally chill with me having said that. <laughs> you know, my version of God. Yep. I would be very yeah. chill with that. Yeah. I love it. There we go. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Capital W Productions.com, correct? Capital W, w Performance.com. Should we say it in news? <laughs> no. We did that bit already. No. Performance. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, everything will be in the show notes. Everything will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yes, for yes. the crowdfunding and ticketing info in the show notes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the show. Yeah. We can't wait to have you. Yes. It'll be super fun. Thank Get in you. our van. 
Monica Miklas, Lauren Ludwig, and Tad Schaefer for being our guests on the show. You can check out Rochester in 1996 at the Fringe website at Capital W Performance. Uh, and on Indiegogo, links will, of course, be in the show notes. Hey, um, that's it. That's the show today. Um, Going to be a relatively quick one. I There's th- things we could tell you about if I had the brain space, but um, we're on the run. We're constantly on the run. Uh, we're about to hit the really, really, really busy season. Uh, the fringe schedule, I even sat down and gone like, what are we going and seeing and doing? Um, the fringe guide is available for you uh, from NoPro. Uh, you should check that out. That's a great thing to spread around. If you're trying to help us out and you get people into immersive and you're in Los Angeles, that's a good one. Uh, Catherine has been doing a whole bunch of reports on the VR scene at Storyscapes at Tribeca. Uh, six diary entries so far. I think I'm going to try and pull them all into like one thing we can easily share, uh, like a little hub page. Uh, look for that in the not too distant as well. Um, and Anthony dropped a review this week. Uh, we had an interview with Darren Lynn Bowsman where he announced, hey, we're going to be doing like a non-tension show in Los Angeles at some point. Um, Ricky did an amazing write-up of the events at uh, Overlook Festival. Uh, uh, Kara's been doing a whole bunch of videos, and uh, and Ricky and Kara are going to get together and write notes about the, the game at the Overlook Festival. Just just busy, 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 busy. And, and then none of us working full-time on this. Uh, anyway, stop it with the pitch. Stop with the pitch. You know what my dream is. Whatever. Um, look, day job is calling. I gotta go. I'll talk to you guys later. Until next time. Oh, right. Let's do the credits. Can't, like, not do the credits. The music for No Persinium, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are as follows. Get to the notes. Noah, I almost know this by heart, but I don't want to mess up because we just added Sam. Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurstan, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you, gentlemen, for being the core of what we do from a financial standpoint. Um, hey, you can follow us on Twitter at No Persinium. We're also at No Persinium on the Facebook. We're No underscore Persinium on Instagram. All of which are great channels to keep up with us. Thank you, Catherine, for taking care of the social media, doing the heavy lift there. Um, NoPersinium.com. Just um, get there. Get there. Be there. Do do it. I don't. I don't know how you do it. That's just honest. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how we do it somehow. Then there's the Slack, uh, which now has like an easy uh, thing. The Slack is fun. I wish I could hang on the Slack more. Bit.ly slash slack. That's how you get to the Slack now. It's pretty neat. All right. I'll see you in the funny papers. Uh, until next time, I'll see you at the show.